All right, back with Coach Kress. We're part two of our podcast today. We're to get into the X's and O's. Uh, a lot of talk about Coach Cressup and Perum's uh, Euro ball screen offense, one of the best teams, if not the best teams that running it in the state of Minnesota. I know a lot of teams run it, so I think we should look to dive into that here in a second. But first, Coach, I just want to get a general overview of what your practices look like. Well, if you come into our practice right away, we probably do traditional like some. Uh, we let them free shoot uh, right away when I get in, but I, I, that's my time to connect with each kid. I make sure every day – no matter if we have 50 kids in a gym or 30 kids in a gym, I go around and ask them how their day went. You know, it's just time to connect. It's probably eight to 10 minutes where they're shooting on their own, working on their form shooting. And, but it's a time for me to walk around and see how their day went and, and get rid of any problems that we could maybe have that might arise that, that they had throughout the day. Uh, and then we go into our stretch and we get our stretch just like most teams do. And um, one of my assistants coaches leads that every day and, Put him in charge of that and then uh, then we move into some full court action and we get we get their bodies going right away and uh, and maybe i think it's really important that you when you walk into ours you're going to see us <clears throat> doing the things that we really want stressed early in our practice uh because their focus for that first hour is probably the best you're going to get out of a kid and <clears throat> that's been consistent with me for 35 years is that you know in that first hour if you want to get a good shell drill in or a good defensive situation or a transition situation in that's when you do it is in that first hour because they're going to be real attentive. They'll still be ready to go. And then uh, towards the end of the practice, I think it's time for you when you want to slow things down and maybe instruct a little bit and get them on the end of it. And, and then they get to uh, end their practice on a, a way of relaxation a little bit because they do lose their focus a little bit towards the end. And uh, we do a lot of shooting. Uh, I'm probably different than a lot of coaches in the state of minute. We, we, we use a lot of practice time for shooting. We put an emphasis on shooting and, and so we break it into probably two, maybe three different shooting drills throughout every practice that eats up probably 25, 30 minutes, which people would think I'm crazy. Uh, but I, I, I see a value in it. And I changed that probably six, maybe seven years ago, Brett, that we really break that down. We chart everything. We, uh, we have them count everything. Uh, we write down everything. And then we're going to change it even more next year. We bought a big board. And we're gonna we're gonna chart everything. If we have like we call it a 26-16 drill, where they got to get 26 attempts and 16 makes in one minute, uh, from elbow to elbow, and we'll we'll chart those. We'll put them on a chart, and we'll have leaders. Uh, we're gonna do that next year. We've got that all ready to go, and and we do a five-minute shooting drill where they got to mark how many they got to make five from each spot, and they got to keep track. And and then we will chart that, and we run for that at the end of uh, each drill. We run if the top top two teams they don't they run one down and back, and it. Next group runs three and the next one runs five or whatever we come up with that day. Uh, but we do a lot of charting of them. And uh, then we do a closeout drill with a hand up uh, partner shooting type thing. And, and so we do a lot of shooting. Um, I'll be really honest with you. That's one still uh, stable thing that we do every day. Uh, we do, we'll do our shell drill every single day, no matter what, and work on different aspects that we, if we want to cover a down screen or cross screen or, or flare screen, uh, we'll break the, do our basic shell fundamental first. And then we'll break it down into parts where we really, really break down what actions we want to guard for that day. And, and we cover about 20 different actions throughout the year that I feel are really important because uh, I don't know what a lot of coaches do, but uh, the set plays people run are actions in my mind, the actions that we have to defend. If it's a UCLA type cut and they run a double stagger out the back, we cover that after we do our basic shell foundation and, and ball screen actions, we'll, we'll treat those in a different way. And, so that's, that's kind of how we do those. And that would be another one of those things that we do every single day. And we do some transition drill every single day. And we vary those quite often. But we make 
two or three of them are real competitive. The other ones are just getting them in the filler lanes and, and get to the right spots and finish with a, with a made basket. So um, those are areas we cover. And offensively, we probably spend maybe 20 to 25 minutes uh, twice or three times. And I, I think people are going to like this part of the ball screen. We broke this down into about 10 or 12 different drills for the ball screen offense that we've developed over the years that anybody, if they want them, I can uh, definitely, when we're done here, we can share that stuff. Um, and that's how we teach it. And then, and then we put it into whole. So it'd be more of a part whole, whole maybe if you want to call it that mm -hmm. type situation. But we, we do those after we get the base foundation of our offense in, we do those at least twice a week and break them down. And, and if we have trouble in a game with something, we'll come back to that drill and, and drill it some more so we can get better at what we're doing. Because, and, but it changes every year as you know, your offensive, but we don't change our, we will not. And I don't think I will until I retire. We won't change what we're running, but we'll adapt. I think the word, the best word is adapt to what our personnel tells us and uh, what we need to change to get to still run this offense and be effective. Why'd you switch to the ball screen offense? What's that? Why did you switch to the ball screen offense? Well, we had, we had personnel when I first started here, we had personnel that we didn't have any fu fundamental foundation. You know, it took, Oh, I'll be honest, it probably took five, six, seven years to get that fundamentals down to where we could run a real offense that I felt comfortable with. And everybody says, well, the ball screen is a continuity. Yeah, it's a continuity, but we teach concepts. And I can get into that as you ask more questions. But the concepts and the reads are the important value. Yeah, it's just a foundation that you can run, but we don't, we don't limit them to that. If there's something they can make a play and, and there's a read that they make, they go ahead and do it. We can always flow back in because we've run it so long that uh, if we get disrupted, the kids are so have been so good at it that they'll just flow right back into it. What are some of those variations that you run? Well, we run a lot of set actions to get into it, a lot of false motion, um, which again, I can share anything that anybody wants because if they're interested in this, but we run a lot of false action to get into the ball screen because teams adapt to what you're doing and they're going to know what's coming. At some point, they're going to get a ball screen and set on them and they know that. So we have to, we run an action, but this year, we started to, uh, I'd say, oh, Brett, the last eight, ten games, we have a really, really good post player in Finn Diggins, and, and we had to find ways to get him the ball. So we changed a lot of our set actions to get him a chance to get the ball in his hands, and we play off of that. And if it led to a post up inside and he kicked the ball back outside, we were flowing right back into ball screen. So um, we've, uh, we've adapted. I think adapt is probably the best word over the years since uh, I think we've run it probably 12. Uh, probably I'm guessing it's 12, 13 years now. So when you're installing this at the youth level, I don't know. Do you run? I don't know if you run this all the way down to second grade or pick it up in fifth grade or ninth grade, wherever. What are some of your basic teaching points when you're installing the offense? Well, we'll go fifth grade and up. We don't start them sooner than that because we got to teach them how to play down in the second, third, and fourth grade. They, they, we just spread them out and run five out and let them let them cut. Um, but in our breakdown, when we have those Saturday mornings, we'll put some ball screen roll dive action in for them so they know what it, what the basic is. But we don't. We don't teach it until fifth grade and fifth grade gets the beginning phase of maybe a side ball screen to a roll action to a reversal. That might be as far as we get. And then they can play out of that. Um, then sixth grade, we, we do get into it, uh, into the full uh, continuity part of it in that area, but we don't teach any reads. Uh, the reads are, we just run the ball screen offense if the coaches want to. And then seventh grade, then we start teaching everything that will be used for us later on. Not the real intricate, I wouldn't say the intricate stuff gets not even until they get to 10th grade, to be honest with you, but seven through nine is the basic foundation and they get into some backdoor action. Um, 
some basic reads and then we just built from there. So um, what over time, what reads have been or what actions within the offense? I know you're not just doing the pattern, come off the ball screen, pass, look high, low, back cut, flow into, I know there, like you said, there is some ability for guys to make plays if that's reject, if that's slip the screen. What have you found has been most successful where you've had maybe your highest points per possession? Okay, then that's good. Again, I think, to be honest with you, that's a good question. Um, but it comes down to personnel that you have. When we won the state in 2011, uh, we had 87 backdoor cuts on the baseline when the top guard on the tandem side went through and we dribbled them. We had 87 backdoor layups, okay, because that was the personnel that we had that could read that really well and finish at the rim. We, we had just really good high, high IQ basketball players. And that so I'd say from 2010 to 2013, uh, the backdoor layup was probably the most effective. Then it goes from 2013 to 15, we had some post players that really dove and we got that reversal to that diagonal high-low. We got that probably more than anything and probably a lot less in the backdoor layup because teams adjusted too. There's some to that too, uh, but not only personnel, but we got that part of it very well. And, and now we're getting more reject and, uh, rejecting the screen. Uh, we're trying to reject that baby now four to five times a game if we can uh, to see what – because then we have an action. We run from that, from that baseline drive. We run an action. We got – we got more of that tee up, that fill action than we have in, you know, in, in the years previous. So um, it, I think it's a lot dictated. We really think that we have done a pretty good job of if you're going to, if I see you play you and you are trapping the ball screen hard, <clears throat> we have an, a counter now that we can counter that. Um, I truly believe in any offense, whether you run what you run, I'm sure you've got counters to just about anything that defense is going to try to do. Not that we're going to be successful with those counters, but I think we got to, we got to teach our kids that the counters to what the defense is doing, because we got to make the defense wrong every time. It may not lead to a basket because we might miss a shot or we might turn it over, but we got to get those kids uh, chances to be successful when uh, your offense that you're running is uh, disrupted for whatever reason. Coaches listen to this thinking, all right, it's great. You got two big kids, a good point guard, and a couple wings. What happens when you got your four or five best players are guards? How do you adjust uh, based on that personnel? That's, that's funny you say that because we, we invert that now. We will invert that offense and run our, run our post players out in the wings. And, and uh, with uh, this year, we put our guards in those slots, uh, especially if it's a, a slot guy that can – our guard that can really shoot it. We've got a couple of those coming up that – we might run that more and more. We might put Finn Diggins, who's 6'5", and one of our best post players, we'll put him out on a wing when he's got a matchup that the big guy's coming out the garden. We'll put that big guy into a ball screen and see how and Finn can handle the ball. Yeah, you got to have your posts and everything got to be able to handle the ball and make decisions, of course. But you got to teach them that, too, and give them a chance to, to fail in that regard. We did that. We did that several times. And one, one example was a team was really icing us, uh, forcing us down in our ball screen. and. And so we inverted it, and they had practiced the ice coverage with their post being down, but they hadn't practiced it with their guard being down. So we threw them off, and we scored 60 points in the second half uh, just by doing that little adjustment there. And, uh, and so we, we try to have a lot of adjustments, and a lot of it's in our breakdown that we try to show the kids this could be what we're going to do against this team through scout or, or just uh, out of playing. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this, get dive into some of the more basketball junkie part of this. Princeton Tigers were switching. We switched five. Uh, we switched four at times uh, two years ago when we had our big kid who's playing at St. John's and all. But this past year, 
idea we like to switch five. So what are you looking to do against a team that switches? We, uh, we will run a lot of slip action against you to make sure you're, you're coordinating because we tell teams that – or tell our guys that if we're seeing a lot of, lot of switches, we're either going to get a mismatch at some point or we're going to get a slip action where, oh, they got confused a little bit. We do slip our posts a lot. Uh, and if they're, if they're switching a lot, we might – we screen our own man a lot. Uh, you know, we tell our guys if we're running an action and we know you're going to switch all spots, we'll screen our own man to get that action open. Um, so we, we counter that with that a little bit. Uh, I think that would be our best advantages to that. We did we, – we, uh, we adopted the boomerang. I don't know if you've heard of that big fad that's called the boomerang pass. We, had, we adopted that for Diggins this year when we would get that mishatch in the low post and we'd boomerang it back and bring that guard and be able to enter it a lot better. We used to just dribble off the ball screen, hear the switch, back dribble, and try to post him. Uh, the defense is still in position. It wasn't very good for us. So we're trying different means now to get the ball swung and then back over again and, and get it into that, that mismatch possibility. So for those that are listening and aren't aware of what you're talking about, you think they're talking about some toy with their pet when you hear boomerang. Yeah. Uh, what, explain what that looks like for you guys. Well, we, we I'd say we enter it to a right wing and we, said, and we have our post come and run the ball screen and we hear a switch. Our guard will quickly reverse that to the other post. And then that post will directly bring it right back to that, that guard that just came off the ball screen. And then we'll dribble over and we'll, we'll enter it into that mass, mismatch that we got in that post. So it, what it does, I think it helps a lot, is that the defense at least jumps to the ball and moves a little bit, you know, instead of us just coming off and back to them and they don't go anywhere. So we got them shifting their defense a little bit so we can maybe get a chance to get the ball inside a little easier. And it doesn't work every time because teams are good. But it's, it's some way our kids can adjust a little bit. Yep, and the idea obviously comes from a boomerang you throw it, it comes right back to you. It's the same concept. The guard passes, the ball comes right yeah. back to him. And so yeah. I like that look because we haven't ran that a ton. Uh, most of our stuff that we run, we average 85 points a game. We, we're getting up and going in transition. Uh, but what I like about that boomerang action from what I've seen when I've seen teams run that is instead of just the guard coming off the screen and then retreat dribbling, right, with their live dribble, they give it up and they come back. Now they got an opportunity to go either way. They can jab each way. Their feet are set. Uh, they, they can use either foot on a pivot foot. It just, it just gives that guard a lot more options. And that's the other option you get. You're exactly, you hit it right on the head. That guard getting it back could make a play right down the lane because that guy maybe jumped to the ball that he, after he made that pass, he gets it back. He drives it right down that slot or wherever he's located. That's a good point on your part. That that's, it's very clear that that, that might be there. So next step, hard hedge. What do you guys look to do? Because the team that just, they're sending that big, it's not a switch, but they're hard hedging even to a point of potentially trapping that. If we know it, well, the first time, we, we always tell kids, you're probably going to get surprised once because maybe we didn't know what they were going to do. Uh, maybe they changed their game plan. But on the hard hedge, we'll tell the guards, don't even dribble it. But when you get it on the wing, don't dribble it against hard edge. Get it over to that other post. And that'll, if he's stepping out too early, we're going to get that diagonal high-low pass almost every time. And if they say, well, we're going to set that guy in the hole down there and take away that diagonal to that post, we're going to really screen that back, backside guy in and get a, a – a three-point shot on that opposite corner. Last coverage. Team goes under all ball screens. What are you looking to do? Well, we started this year. Good question. We started this year that we have to rescreen them. Uh, we found out that rescreen is really important. And it's, I'm going to be honest, it's really hard for guards to teach the guards that because they don't want to go far enough off that ball screen to let that post get positioned to rescreen it. And we ran into problems with that a little bit. And then we did teach this year, and we'll teach it even more next year. And I think it's a good point. Uh, I got from Fran Fraschilla is you screen the lower you, uh, the lowest shoulder go down and screen the low shoulder of that that defender and make him 
come over the top and the, it was kind of effective. We just didn't get to it uh, enough to be really effective at it yet. So you talked about wanting to get four or five rejects a game. What are your teaching points? This will be the last thing uh, as we, it'll, and we'll switch into defense here. How do you teach the reject and what do you tell your kids to look for? Well, we, we always jab opposite the, opposite the reject. We try to, I'm not saying we always do it right. Cause we don't, uh, but we'll jab it. You'll jab it high and go to that low side. And right when we, we're going to, we're driving it hard. And each of the points we teach is that we know there's going to be a help side man coming against good teams. You're not going to get to the rim and shoot a layup. It's just not going to happen. Um, so we prepare, we prepare that the kids that when that, that low man's coming, either it's a guard that's sitting in the hole because the point guard's in an opposite corner. When he comes, the action starts. Our, our top slot post will dive right to the front of the rim and our top guard on the opposite side will fill the slot where the post uh, exited. He'll come right up to that slot. And that's his, that's his two looks is first of that. And we do have, you know, we do have that corner drift uh, pass available, but there's a lot of people. There's a guy filling and sinking down on that battle side. It's a little tougher, uh, but it does open up that, that top slot a little bit more. Defensively, that's one of your core values. You said if someone walks into your practice, it'd be clear as day that they know that the kids have to defend. So what is your defensive philosophy? Well, we, we, uh, we're kind of a hybrid, I think. We play pack and a little bit of pressure denial. Uh, we put them to two and two together. We don't force <clears throat> baseline uh, or anything like that. We don't do that, but we do try to keep the ball on one side of the floor if established. So we're kind of a kind of a mixture of both. <clears throat> we will we'll take away the drive first unless we know that there's a like your team. If you shoot a lot of threes, we're going to have to adjust what we're doing a little bit uh, through a scouting report and get out and take those three point shooters off the arc. But uh, you're going to see a lot of gap for us uh, mainly on the perimeter unless it's on a side. If we get it to a side, then we can try to keep it over there. Uh, but we're not complicated, uh, Brett. We're not complicated at all. But we do that. We have a core value in our defense is that we tell our kids, we're going to put you in the right spot for every situation. Uh, we may not stop them, but you're going to be there to make the play. So we try to instill in their minds that when we go through shell drill, I'm not kidding you one bit, Brett, we stop that thing maybe 30 times a day and they do five push-ups. If they're not at the right spot in the midline that we want them, uh, we'll stop the whole team and that team will do five push-ups as a team. Or if we didn't rotate the baseline and get outside the lane, we'll stop it and they'll do five push-ups. Or if we give up an offensive rebound and not, you know, on that we'll give they'll have five push-ups. So we we really nothing serious. We just stop it a lot on positioning. We we make sure they're going to be in the right spot. Uh, and if we don't handle a stagger correctly, we don't, you know, how we however teams teach it, we'll stop it and they'll they'll do five push-ups for that. So we're not complicated by any means, but we are really sticklers on being in the right spot when the ball is in a certain part of the floor. And uh, you better get there and jump into the ball. They don't jump to the ball. They're on the floor doing five push-ups. Uh, it's, uh, it's an automatic. You talk about the midline. Do you want guys to have one foot on the midline, straddle the midline, get, just get one foot in the paint on the weak side? What do you, what's kind of your philosophy there? That's a very good question. We are probably different than a lot. We overload the ball side. So if we're on the midline on the baseline, we put, uh, say it's in the right corner, we have our guy over there all the way with the right foot on, on that side of the floor. Uh, he'll put it on the midline. On the, we don't split it. We'd get over on the heavy on that side. And, uh, but it, it, the only problem I see sometimes if we don't get enough ball pressure, it creates long closeouts uh, on the skip pass. So we have to, we have to practice that a lot. And closeouts, we do practice a lot. But uh, again, we are, we got a long ways to go in that, in certain parts of defense where we need to be. But um, that's, that's what we do on the midline part. 
It's funny to hear you say that. So we had Chris Badness on uh, that podcast is dropped released here a couple days ago on Wednesday. It was a great, great, great podcast. So if this is your first one because Coach Crespo has a huge following up on Highway 10 uh, through the western part of the state. I, I really encourage you to listen to Coach Badness from Austin. He talked about his guys flood to the ball side as well and with a completely different style. They run their one, two, two, and they're looking to trap everything. But the same idea, they're trying to get their guys all the way across compared to you guys who are doing the same thing, and you're kind of more of a mix of a pressure pack. So it's interesting to have uh, the same philosophy on the weak side with what different action on ball. Yeah, it's, uh, Chris and I are good friends, and I've studied his stuff, but I can't figure out how he does it. He does an unbelievable job with that one, two, two. That matchup is a nightmare to go against. So uh, it's good to hear that he – I thought he did flood that side. I, I thought he overloaded yeah. it pretty hard. and but he gets such long length on that, on that ball pressure. It's harder to skip the ball and, and uh, he doesn't allow the ball in the middle very easy. So you're, you're kind of stuck when you get over on a side, but yeah, he's a, he's a very one of the top coaches in the state of Minnesota. So I could see why he's successful. Absolutely. So how do you teach closeouts? Uh, we go, we, we go the two hand closeout. Uh, we, we, we don't get into this. Like some people get into this sprint halfway stutter step. You know, we, we do, we tell them to sprint out, and uh, we say, I'll set your butt down about two steps before you're going to throw those hands up. So we do that a lot. We have a full court closeout drill. We do probably three times a week in groups. And, and we teach all aspects. We teach the regular closeout with our two hands high. We teach uh, when the ball's uh, uh, up above their heads, you know, getting our spacing. We call it getting our depth, building our depth. We jump back when the ball's in the shot, shot pocket. We build in our depth. We have them jump back a couple steps. Um, so we got a series of closeout that we do. Uh, and again, I can elaborate that on more if anybody wants to know that, but we do that. Our whole team does it. We have a coach in each line. We watch them and really, and if we don't do it right, we start it over. Uh, we really, uh, I think uh, what you emphasize and, and really uh, stress to these kids that's important to you, you got to really, really stay with it. And we don't shy away from that at all. You're a Euro ball screen team. Uh, we run a lot of the more of the spread ball screen uh, out of our flowing out of transition. Uh, you see a lot of teams run ball screen related actions. If it's out of sets, if it's spread ball screen, Euro ball screen, whatever, uh, reads within their rate base four out motion. Well, how are you guys defending ball screens? Well, and if we see a team that runs the side ball screens, uh, we, we, um, we have a coverage for teams that run our offense. And we will attack that and trap that and overplay that, that post that's going to dive down to that corner. So we have a, a set defense that we run against teams okay. that run our stuff. Against 90% of the teams that run like a middle-high ball screen or a spread, we're going to just blow it up hard and, and, and retreat it and tag, tag the roll man a little bit uh, so we make them throw back to a shooter. Because if they're running that uh, action for a, a legitimate 6'8 post player, uh, they want to go to that guy. They want to go to him first. So we're going to try to get him out of the action first to make him do something else uh, for to maybe throw it back to that guy on that wing. And then they have to enter it. So we made it, made it so we maybe can retreat, uh, retreat a little bit and get back into our defensive coverage. So I'd say, Brett, 95% of the time, we're just going to really, really blow that ball screen up. And, and we have a rule there at two dribbles. If that kid takes two dribbles away, then we're gone. We're, we're out. We're not staying there because that should give that guard enough time to get there. Who's taking the role guy? Are you doing it from ball side or from weak side? We are, we're usually on the same side. We're usually on the, okay. on the ball side. Yeah, we, we don't bring them over too much unless we know that there's a, you know, through scouting, if there's a shooter in one of the spots, then we could vary that a little bit. And the idea is if you have a good hard head, they shouldn't be able to make, the, make a direct pass to the role guy either. Right, exactly. 
And then uh, how much does your opponents or scouting reports impact what you do defensively? I know you talked about a little bit uh, with if it's a side ball screen versus a mid pick. Uh, but generally speaking, how much do you guys get into scouting reports uh, on how you're shifting things around defensively? Well, we, we watch, uh, like you, I'm sure, we watch a ton of film. Uh, and I don't get into, <clears throat> I don't get into uh, how many sets you're going to run. I really, I really don't. Uh, I, I watch the actions that you run and how are we going to defend some of those actions that, because there's as much as we are or you are, your actions are run for a specific reason, to get a guy a, the ball in a certain location. And if we can disrupt that certain location, if we can get that through a scout or film, uh, we're not going to very much we're doing unless it's something that we have not seen or have not covered. Like I said, in our shell drill, we run probably 20 different actions that we, we cover that we see. It's even more sometimes if we see teams that are running something that we haven't ever seen or covered before. Uh, so that you're, to answer your question, I'd say we don't change a lot through, through scout, but we do a lot of scout. We do. Uh, we walk through uh, 30 minutes of scout the uh, night before a game no matter what and don't overload them. I think that's a key. Uh, if I was giving a young coach or something there, don't overload your kids with scout because they're, they're not – they're not going to ingrain in that too long. And then the, night, the game of the day of the game in our locker room, we don't talk about scout at all because uh, they got enough things on their mind. When we get ready to come out of that locker room, we don't talk about it. If we didn't cover it well enough, then it's our coach's fault that we didn't get it done the night before and or the day, you know, after school or whatever you're doing. So we don't change a lot. No. That's interesting that you talked about your scouting report that way. I, I we've shifted a lot in how we've done scouting reports uh, so I'll just use our Google Classroom page that we use as a, as a team. I create, just like I do for my social studies classes, I create a Google Classroom page. And then I just post our scouting reports on there. And then I really, I personally just leave it live and leave it up to the kids. We'll reference to look at it. We'll reference it in practice. We'll watch film usually of teams a little bit too. We'll talk 10, 12 minutes of, you know, maybe who their top two guys are and where they're looking to get their shots. Uh, if it's a kid who's a post, which way, is he go, which way is he going on the block? Is he left shoulder, right shoulder? Uh, if it's a shooter, is he in the corner? Is he more in the slot? Uh, in transition. So those are some things that we looked at. And then pregame, we used to like go over all that again. And it was just like, this kid's got seven classes and girlfriends breaking up. Yeah. Uh, hopefully only one girlfriend. <laughs> you know, they got parents <laughs> stuff going on. It's like, you don't need to give them, you know, 20 <laughs> minutes before a game, a bunch of crap. So we'll just kind of write like shooter or screen or just like one bullet point on the whiteboard before the game, just as like that big thing for them to remember before they take the court. Like you're right. And, and I feel like as we've gotten better and where you guys are at as a program, it's always going to come down to more of what you're doing. Yep. And I think you're hitting it right on the head. It's we, like you said, we talk about individual players. If he's a driver or shooter, you know, we get into that part, but um, I think, I think it's up to us as coaches to get our kids prepared for every situation possible. And we can't put the blame on the, on the players if they're not doing it because we haven't taught it well enough. And uh, I've done that many, many, many times. Even after all these years, uh, I've got so much to learn about this game. Uh, I can I'm I can learn by watching you guys play. I mean, I I think it's uh, once we're not learning, Brad. I think it's time for us to get out. And uh, yeah. it, we're lifelong learners, or you wouldn't be doing all this. I mean, mm -hmm. this is something special that you're doing for all these coaches. Uh, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. I appreciate you even having me on, and and I hope I have a, have done some things for somebody today if they need anything from me they can sure contact me but you're doing amazing things over there in Princeton it's it's remarkable what you've done and and uh, I remember when I first met you you were just getting that thing going and uh, you asked me a lot of questions way back when and now look at where you're at today it's a tribute to you and your and your program so keep up the good work.
Well, I appreciate that. Like you said, at the beginning, it all comes down to your staff. You got to have good assistant coaches and you got to have kids who are bought in. And that's what we've had. We've been lucky enough. And uh, you said the same thing about your program. Uh, last thing, how can coaches contact you? I know I'll tweet out the link to uh, your coach Chris on Twitter page, but uh, what's another way that they can reach out to you? Uh, they could email me at uh, D C R E S A P at Perm dot K 12 dot M N dot U S. If they want anything, I've got everything on, well, not everything, but some of it's just up in my brain that gets lost once in a while, but on fast, <laughs> that I could help you out with, uh, anything that they want. Uh, this is a game we got to share and, uh, you still got to go out and beat these teams. Even if, you know, if you share your stuff, you still got to go out and beat them and they got to beat you. And I think it's a, it's just such a great profession to be in. If they want anything, uh, I'm more than happy to help. All right, coach, thanks for coming on. We broke this into two parts. Hopefully people learned something. Uh, coach Cressum says knowledgeable is a guy of the game. He's won 600. He's won 600 games for a reason. He's doing a lot of things, right? So coaches reach out to him. He, he'll share anything. He's not just blowing smoke for the, you know, three, four, five people who might listen to this. He, he wants to share the game and help and educate coaches as well. So reach out to him. So coach, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Good luck. Thank you.